Welcome to Territorial Noise. I'm your host, is Adam on Fire. This week, we have Wax Limbs, an experimental electronic rock band out of Toronto. But before we get to the interview with Alex, here's the title track from their newest album, For Science. show alex thanks for having me it's great to have you so your new album is called for science 
Uh, it just came out earlier that's, this month. That's correct, yeah. Uh, and it's your third album? It's technically our fourth, but we're no longer selling our first one because it's just so far removed from what, what we're doing. So sort of it's our third album, yeah. Okay, well, it's, the, it's the third on Bandcamp right now. <laughs> that's true. So, um, and, and one of the things that I really like about this album, the, the, the video for, for Science is really incredible and it's almost a little spooky. Well, thank you. Um, my partner, Sam Haggart, did uh, all of the directing and shooting and kind of the planning. So that that goes to her, I think, definitely. So she'd be happy to hear that. Well, who came up with the concept? Because it's, it's really very interesting and, and kind of weird in a good way. <laughs> um, it definitely was mostly her idea for the animals and, you know, the makeup kind of stuff. Um, I, uh, yeah, no, it was pretty much all her. Like I kind of just gave her a bit of a push and this is definitely the vibe I'm going for. And this is kind of what the song is about. So here, take what, do what, uh, you will with that. So, yeah. Well, I think it turned out great. It's, it's really, really cool to watch. I think it opens up the album really great too. I'm glad. Yeah. We try, we've been trying to, uh, kind of incorporate video more because, you know, we have a lot of friends in the arts who are just so so talented and like really close to us so the fact that we hadn't been doing that already was kind of ridiculous like <laughs> working with sam has been great because she's just super excited about the ideas and uh she keeps the team small and gets it done in like a day so oh, it's wow. pretty awesome yeah that's great a lot of video videos take a while to do so being able to do it in a day is really handy well i i should be more specific like uh, we had another vi video on the last record for a song called While at the Window, and that was done in, we shot it in a day, and we edited it in a day, and we were pretty happy. But with this one, we shot it in a day. That's what I mean by a day. It just took a very long time. The funny thing is we actually shot this video for another song. Oh, really? And then, yeah, it just, it, it didn't work. The song was too long. We didn't have enough footage. It just wasn't fitting. And we thought, well, why don't we kind of attach it to this and we realized that it was kind of a parallel that just, you know, uh, functioned nicely. Yeah. I would have never known it wasn't for that song. Yeah. That's kind of a, that's kind of the saving grace of it for me is like, it's a bit of an Easter egg. Yeah. And when you mentioned wall at the window, which is another really great video that also has a little bit of a spooky vibe to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we shot that at her grandparents' house and they live in like a 1950s kind of, a uh, little white house on a hill kind of situation. And it's all, you know, 1960s and 70s decor, you know, lots of floral stuff everywhere. So we couldn't pass up the opportunity. Right. And so um, one of the things that I really love about the new album is that you describe it as taking you from the vacuum of space to the bottom of the ocean, mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting. And like a song like The Joy of Floating. Um, the, the sound quality in that, just the blips and beeps in the background, and then when the vocals come in, it really, really evokes space to me. Um, and once your vocals come in, it almost gives me a, a sort of David Bowie space oddity kind of vibe with the vocals. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I mean, I, I'd, yeah, there's definitely inspiration from Bowie on there. Um, yeah, it's that, that song came out of just I think jamming in the studio and we ended up with this thing that felt very um weightless at, at certain points and so that those words just kind of popped out it was like oh it's the 
it feels like the joy of floating that sort of the refrain coming in with like the major progression was sort of representative of that to me right and then and then it goes into a song like molecules which is almost like 8-bit pop mixed in with it <laughs> yeah it's uh that so that song i think really lends itself to so we've got a, a few people involved in our band it's myself who's sort of like the conceptual head or what what have you and we have a guy called paul geldart and we've just been making music together for years and he he just loves video game music and he's really good at kind of getting that vibe so uh it just made a lot of sense for him to make something kind of glitchy and warbly and uh yeah kind of as you're saying 8-bit yeah, there's definitely some of that in there, but I think the the one thing that's really great about For Science is that it's there's so lush a sound to it. Thank you. Yeah, we uh, we've been working really hard to try and be self-made and you know up our production skills over the years. So that that's super great to hear. She whispers with the hiss. of hot. Smoke weighs her down The patterns on her skin are saying everything
the things that I also thought was interesting is if you go back to like Cold Form, you had a lot of um, vocalists that would be featured, and on this album there aren't as many. Was that something you did consciously, or did it just sort of happen that way that, oh, crap, I'm the only one that can sing on this song? <laughs> uh, well, uh, the, the, the short answer is we wanted to have less featured vocalists. Um in recent times anyway, like on the last record, uh, The New Dirt, we, it was sort of a conscious effort to only have like one or two or however many, I think it was just one. So, and the, the long answer is more that I couldn't sing really at all when we wrote Cold Form. Like we wrote that, oh geez, three-ish years ago now. Like I started writing that in late 2013 and then it kind of came out in summer 2015. So it was about two years coming. And I was still sort of a hobbyist, like in a true sense with music. Like I really didn't see it as a career or, um, you know, something I wanted to pursue professionally at all. Right. Or like I, there was no money uh, at all in the picture for me. So I wasn't a singer and I kind of got into this through messing with computers and just making bleepy bloopy things. And uh, I had a lot of friends at the time who were great singers. I still do, but at the time I was just, everyone was more accessible because we were younger. Right. So on this record, it was sort of, well, I'm going to, you know, do my best to try and be a better singer because I sort of am fronting the project and I've grown to love it and it feels really good. And, you know, it's, it's the, clo it's the instrument you're the most in tune with. It's just a part of you. So the, the voice. So, yeah. Well, and that's one of the things is I think your vocals on this album are actually really fitting of the music. I, that's one of my favorite parts. Oh, I'm super glad because I'm definitely the most insecure about my singing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you shouldn't be. No, I'm, I really was impressed with it because you do sort of evoke in some of yours that, that sort of David Bowie sound. And I was going to ask if he was an influence because I couldn't, you know, see anything on your on your site about him being an influence. But um, you almost have that sort of quality where it's a little rough, but it sounds so great. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, he, I, I definitely had a moment um, last year because like I've, I've been listening to Bowie for years, but not really as a huge fan. Like I, I was, I was okay with his stuff. I really didn't like the early seventies stuff that everyone loves. And right. I, I hadn't heard any of his newer records until like Black Star. And then I started to really get into it because that record's incredible. But he has this song called 515 the angels have gone from his album heathen which came out in 2002 and he just makes this sort of raspy not like this totally imperfect voice fit you know he he has that mid-rangey voice that doesn't work well like he can't sing the super high notes that he would have sung you know on like life on mars or something right. he can't do that stuff at an older age and have the same effect or have it not sound strained and but he, but he just it's pure confidence and so for me like just someone who has that voice you know you can't really change the way you sound without hurting yourself just having that kind of voice where it's mid-rangey and muddy and kind of gr grumbly and whatever it was eye-opening to see it work so well and like you know like that that particular song is so emotional for me like i, I just I love it to death. So it was, yeah, definitely a huge inspiration. I don't know about his lyrical co content as much, but yeah, he, yeah, he definitely pushed me to sort of like, just not try and sound like other people as much. Which I think is great because it really works on for science. Thank you. Yeah. 
Um, so who are some of your other influences that you've had musically? I mean, it's it's no surprise to anybody who's heard our music that Radiohead is a huge influence. Like, right. I think collectively it's probably our favorite band. Um, but Nine Inch Nails was something, like I did the whole Nine Inch Nails teenager thing. I listened to those records like till they were dust, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, th- those are the two big ones, I think. And Aphex Twin later on became a really big influence for me in first year of college and you know all, all like the warp records people yeah i would say like radiohead and nails and like a lot of stuff off warp just for the production on that side yeah and you can definitely hear nine inch nails in some of the drum beats that you use they're sort of evocative of some of their sound oh yeah yeah i mean it it's definitely ingrained at this point um because that you know trent Reznor and, and co they just write power music right it's just so infectious and it just makes you feel kind of crazy and that's something i always loved about that kind of music that's what i loved about going to hardcore shows and like really heavy music was that it just makes you want to throw yourself around it makes you want to be a bit insane for a minute and um i didn't want to make anything that didn't make me want to change my state of mind (laughs) if you know what i mean right and then you go like a song like The Ashes. I can pick up, it almost is a little LCD sound system in that song, I think, with some of the, the synths that you use. No, that's a good ear. Um, yeah, LCD sound system is definitely another huge influence. They were sort of like the end of high school band for me. So when uh, when Shut Up and Play the Hits came out, we all lined up at the Blur Hot Docs Cinema in Toronto and saw it the one night that it played. And it was like the best thing in the world. And uh to, to kind of stray from the main point, um, when they announced that they were coming back, I was definitely one of those people who was feeling a little betrayed just because it's like, it was so um, monumental, like them breaking up and like, just no. It's... <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, I have to say, like, I'm definitely like off that train a bit now because they, the new music that they put out is fantastic. I'm really excited for their record. Yeah, it's really great. Mm-hmm. Call the Police, I, I think like, the first time I heard it, I was I was coming into that very skeptical, like, oh man, like this is gonna kill one of my favorite bands for me. But um, no, like that track just got me feeling the same way I felt the first time I heard Losing My Edge. Yeah, that's always the tough thing when you have a band that you've loved that's been out of the spotlight for a while, then they come back and there's always that, oh God, am I gonna be disappointed? Yeah, it's just, it's a real like a uh, gamble. Sometimes I find myself I don't do this consciously or like make any real effort, but I'll find myself not like I'll, I'll seem to sort of reduce my excitement so that I don't set myself up for disappointment. Which because, is a like, good thing to do. Yeah. I mean, like there was that, the James Blake record, uh, the color and anything. I was very excited about that record and he, some of his best songs are on that record, but some of his worst are as well. And like, I think as an album, it's just, uh, it's not polished and it drones on, way too long and that was i remember being like super bummed out about that because i really like james blake a lot but you know i mean it's, i'm not the kind of person who's going to stop listening to james blake or be like oh well ugh, james blake he really uh went by the wayside but no right. he's he's a great artist i just think he could have you know cut some of the crap right well that's that's one of the things as being an artist that's hard to do is to go through and look at what okay what needs to be cut what should we keep Hmm. yeah and that's i think on this record, um, on For Science, that was a big challenge for us. It was like, we had some other, oh, okay, the funny thing is this would have been our fifth album 
or, or sorry, like our fourth public record. And because we had written an entire other album before that, um, and we scrapped the entire thing. Like it just, oh, wow. we spent, I think, two years working on songs on and off. And some stuff we're, we were really excited about. And some stuff I still think like we may put out on a B-Sides record. But overall, the project was just like, what are we doing? <laughs> we, we don't know what we want here. And it's all it's all kind of just meandering and it doesn't kind of get at any point. And by the time we put out this record, you know, those old songs had been so done to death. We had worked on them too much. We hated them and, and we wouldn't want to play them live. So there was no point in like trying to pursue them further because just all of the energy was sapped. So right. that was, I mean, we didn't, with For Science, like the actual record that we released, we didn't actually end up cutting a lot of demos. Like we recorded seven or eight tracks and seven tracks got released but just the fact that there was a whole album before it it feels really good actually to have that control to have that self-control and not just put everything out yeah that's one of the benefits of, of doing it independently is you have a little bit more control you don't have anybody telling you what songs you have to release yeah and because you know i'm we're, we're human we're we're young and <laughs> we put it we make a lot of crap like we're not great musicians we just that's the thing is we're just trying to get better at knowing what isn't helping the bigger picture, right? Like if a song is on a record and it's not adding to the record, it probably shouldn't be on the record. Right. Um, there may be, if it's a good song, there may be another outlet, like release it as a single or just a one-off or a freebie or whatever. But you know, I, I'm the kind of person who listens to albums all the way through and like some records, I just, I can't listen. I can't listen to them on shuffle. I can't break them up. So it's very important to me that we put out something that is representative of a uh, like a larger plan or whatever. Which I think that's one thing that's great about this record is a lot of musicians just sort of make songs for the single and the album doesn't really matter um, mm -hmm. as much. And and with this, it, it feels like it was just one logical thought the entire way through. And I think that's great because so few artists do almost concept style albums anymore yeah well i think uh th there's a few factors that kind of influence that right it's the first thing is that to be an artist on the internet and to have like digital sales or you know a presence you have to be quite active right you can't release an album more than once a year these days if you want people to remember you right or remember that you're active so that kind of throws a bit of a wrench into the whole like well-conceived concept album if you're just releasing and releasing and releasing. Um, and, you know, singles are really good loose change, like just to throw into the pot. And it can, it can help you out a lot. But, um, and, and, you know, we're trying to get better at that. We're trying to get better at being present more, but, you know, but still release things that feel cohesive and, and whole. Right. Yeah, because ultimately, I think when you know when you're in your mid twenties and you're looking for you're you're kind of working towards a career and music is still a hobby, but you know deep down like you'd love to do it for the rest of your life. Like you do try and make yourself marketable and you do try and put together a cohesive financial package, something people would want to invest in. And a big part of that is just being an active presence. And it doesn't take a ton of energy to do that. It just takes a lot of planning. Right. And a lot of time too. Yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, yeah. So that kind of makes it harder to, uh, to put out full albums. 
like our last couple of records have not been long, right? They've been like 30, 35 minutes. But I think that's also becoming normal too, is um, a lot of great records that are coming out these days are not super monolithic, you know, titanic pieces of music. It's kind of like we've got a bunch of Dark Side of the Moon format things where it's like 25, 30 minutes, and that's just kind of acceptable. And I, I actually don't mind because I find the older I get and the more I'm working and, you know, moving around the city, I just, I have no time to just sit down and put on an album. It's usually, you know, you listen to it on the bus or on transit and that kind of guides you through your day. But it's just those little chunks of time to actually listen to something fully and get super into it. Right. Which makes it difficult if you have a, you know, a three hour album. Yeah, exactly. Um, like I still haven't been able to listen to uh, Kamasi Washington's The Epic all the way through because <laughs> I just haven't had, what, what, how long is that on? Like four hours? Yeah, it's an insane it's your... length. Yeah, um, and I really should give something like that the time of day and I really should give it my full attention, but it's just an issue of making time to do it. And, and I <laughs> would love to maintain a happy medium of requiring people's time, but also being able to fit it into people's day without much effort, because, you know, we're not a big deal. We're a tiny band that plays tiny shows, and, like, we can't ask a lot of people, so. Well, speaking of shows, where was your first live show? Yeah, that, that actually, that was weird. Um, I was just messing around with the computer in 20... 10 and I just kept doing it for a couple of years and I was making songs and putting them online on SoundCloud. And uh, there's this thing in Toronto called TIFF's Battle of the Scores, which is just Toronto uh, International Film Festival has a thing called Next Wave, which is a youth program kind of thing. And for people who are 18 and under, uh, like high school students, they essentially, you, you submit a song and you go, okay, this is the quality of my material. This is what it sounds like. And if you know, they like your work, they'll be like, oh, great, you're a finalist. So we've got like five bands and here's a three minute film that someone in Next Wave has made. So write a score for it and then perform it live at the Tiff Bell Lightbox. So that happened to me where I submitted just because I didn't think I was going to get in. Um, I submitted and I got in and I realized I had no idea how to perform live. I couldn't play instruments. I couldn't sing. I couldn't do anything. So I just... Uh, <laughs> I got an Ableton Launchpad, or sorry, an Ovation Launchpad, like the first version, and I borrowed a friend's laptop because I didn't actually own a laptop at the time. And I installed all my software, and I did this show at the Tiff Bell Lightbox for three minutes on stage, and it was incredible. It was like 300 people sitting in a theater in the dark watching you perform and like just paying full attention. Wow. It was yeah, you could hear a pin drop in that room before people started applauding. And that's the thing is when I finished when I finished uh, performing, it was like an explosion. People people really liked it because I was the only electronic artist at that uh, show. So it was just a bit of a different flavor. I don't know if, I don't think it was great. you know, I don't think what I was doing was, you know, super awesome, but it was just a bit different. Um, so people were excited about it. And of course, I had a lot of friends come out to see me, which was awesome. Um, but yeah, like I learned how to, like, I remember Googling how to perform electronic music live because <laughs> I didn't like, I don't know, like what, it, what was everyone else doing? And it, you know, it very quickly became apparent that like, you know, you could 
just do whatever you want. Like it doesn't, there's no way to do it, but right. you know, and then I realized like, okay, well I can trigger clips in Ableton. So I'll just uh, do a beat kind of thing. And it, uh, it worked out nicely. Yeah. I, I remember though, I went on stage with a mask for the first time at that show because I had just made a mask out of, I don't know I was just messing around and having fun and making things. And uh, I was super nervous about being on stage. I had never done it before. And I couldn't imagine being in front of all these people in silence. I was just like, I remember sitting in the backstage area, like on the floor in the middle of the room and just like freaking out, like trying not to panic. <laughs> and uh, these other bands had already, you know, they'd performed before they were, you know, this was just another show for them. So I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with that guy? And I'm just like, nah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine yeah. having that be your first show. There would definitely be some nerves. Yeah. And you know, I, I think it's interesting because a lot of people talk about like, Oh, my first show was an open mic and like, Oh man, open mics are brutal. If you, I can't imagine being a thing where no one's there to see you. No one's there to support you. And you don't even know if you're going to do well. And like you have to win a crowd over from scratch for your first show. That's like, I'm basically saying I got lucky because I had a room full of people who were there to see me, you know, right. it was like, they weren't going to boo. They weren't going to, you know, just talk over me. It wasn't the right place for that. So I got like, you know, I got, I got the Cadillac experience of <laughs> playing your first gig. Yeah. And so, and wearing a mask is something you've continued even till now when performing live yeah it kind of just i kept making them and they kept getting better and looking more interesting and it just sort of like by the time i released my first album i was still nervous right like i i was still doing the whole performing on stage thing and the thing is when you're one person on stage with like a keyboard and some knobs and some buttons and a laptop like and no light show there's not a lot for people to look at and I, I just had no gall in me <laughs> to just go up and, you know, in my, in my uh, normal clothes and duds and whatever. So I, you know, I kind of had to do that to um, get people interested. And also the stuff I was making was like very strange and like nonlinear music and just, I didn't know what I was doing, right? I was just massing around and making things, but it wasn't super musical so i had to sort of have this extra thing and then you know i moved to montreal for university and started a band with some friends like paul the drummer of Waxlands, he's actually he was in that band with me and it was the first time it was just a normal band and i was like i'm gonna learn how to play bass you already know how to play drums we'll get our friend isabella to play omnichord and sing and that was it like i had to learn how to play an instrument and that was work enough for me to not be concerned about my appearance. I wasn't concerned if I was doing enough or too much, right? It was just, I'm playing bass and I'm singing. Right. <laughs> so, and at this point I like, we really don't feel like we don't need the masks to perform. Like I could go on stage without it and I could, you know, I'm comfortable at this point just cause I've been doing it long enough, but um, we still can take this idea, I think a bit farther and see it through like, we, we, before we stop using masks, we definitely need to push the idea to its potential. Well, and, and that uh, was, we're not quite there yet. And that was one of the things that actually got me interested. I had found your album on Bandcamp and I was like, these masks are really cool. Um, and so that's one of the things <laughs> that drew me in initially. And then I listened to the music and loved it, but it was like the masks are kind of what gave me that hook to listen. 
Yeah, and that's the funny thing. We we got lucky with a gimmick that came out of stage fright, and it's just continued to be a great way to get people to pay attention for just enough time to hear our music. Because like, I'm confident in our music, and I do like it, and I think it's, I think it's listenable, and you know, there are people who will enjoy it. But you know, with the number of bands on stages every night in of a city like Toronto or Montreal or wherever you have to go above and beyond to actually get people to listen to you, let alone remember your name and go home and look you up. Right. So, you know, I, and I'm not, I'm not saying like, I want to throw the the mask thing up at the door because I do like it aesthetically. I do enjoy that kind of look. And I think it adds something, but they're just brutal to perform in. (laughs) So yeah, it, you know, just like sweaty and uh, it's hard to see because there's like mesh in front of your eyes. So you're playing in the dark. You can't see, <laughs> you can't see your instruments. You're like, oh God, I can't, I don't even know if the audience can hear me. Um, but it seems to be working. So we're just going to keep doing it. Well, how has been performing? Um, cause, you know, Toronto is a, a, there is a pretty big music scene there. How has it been performing live? Uh, it, you know, it's a mix of good and bad. Like you you can't really just take shows when they get offered to you anymore. Like, and when I say you, I mean me, like I'm at the position where I'm turning things down. I used to just play anything. I would be like, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, anything to get on stage, I'd perform once every two weeks or so. But, uh, that was just really harmful to, you know, our crowd. Like we couldn't draw anybody cause everyone, you know, had already seen us like a week before or whatever for every show. So it just, like we've been learning how to sort of interact with the Toronto audience and to respect them. And like, you know, how do I get people to actually want to come and see us play? Well, don't play more than once every two months to start. Um, so we, yeah, we've been learning that. And that kind of, there was a moment where we played in the basement of the smiling Buddha and we showed up for the show that another band, like a touring band from Chicago had asked us to play it. And we'd like, okay, sure. It was on a Tuesday night. There were five bands on the bill. They were like country acts and whatever. And they were all great, but it just it didn't make any sense. There was no cohesion. There was no nuance or any reason I would want to go to a show like that. Um, so, And we got there and the floor was just wet and it smelled like pee. And we're like, oh, God, this is a nightmare. Nobody showed up. The bartender was like, hey, I think we should cancel this because my boss is going to get mad if I'm serving nobody down here. And... Uh, and the band that put on the show just never showed up. It was, it was an absolute nightmare. Oh, wow. I was like, I never, ever want to do this again. We're just going to have to work really hard um, and work with people directly and put on our own things with people who know what they're doing. Because um, we did this a lot as teenagers and we did this a lot, like even like obviously very recently, and we're just sick of it. Um, so that's the bad side. The good side is that, you know, once we started actually putting in more time and effort and planning, um, you know, we'd contacted a promotion company and said, would you like us to help you put on some shows? We'd love to, you know, curate some things. And right off the bat, they were like, okay, how's Adelaide Hall uh, a Saturday night? Okay. (laughs) And that was great because suddenly we were performing in venues that we thought, you know, our audience would want to come here. They'd want to hang out here. They don't feel threatened or, or in danger or like the building is going to collapse, like stuff like that. Just it's kind of important. It's that, yeah. And it's been great because of that, right? Like it is very much a selfish thing. I think to play a squat that could burn down at any second 
and expect all your friends to come. It's like, we had that happen to us. You know, you have to think about everybody um, when you're doing stuff like that. Like there are great DIY spaces out there that, you know, I've been to many shows and I've definitely felt safe and welcome, but oh my God, uh, sometimes you just have to, you know, you have to make sure that you're uh, doing the, doing what's best for everybody.
Well, have there been any venues that you've been to that you just fell in love with or would always return to? Um, as a show goer, I would, I really wish soy bomb was still open. That place is amazing. Um, yeah, I saw a band. Well, I saw a guy called Gull play there. He was just a a one man band, plays drums and guitar and sings at the same time. And it was just the most otherworldly experience sitting in a half pipe. Uh, everyone's like circling around him and he's just like unleashing this wall of the most beautiful noises and like the rhythms were just, uh, I can't, I can't gush enough about that show. That was excellent. Uh, so I would totally go back if they were still putting on shows, but unfortunately they got shut down. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, then, you know, in terms of a venue that I would go to now that's still open, like I really enjoyed playing the Rivoli. Um, I thought the sound there was excellent and it was a really nice vibe and very central. So yeah, different, totally different situation though, right? Yeah. Um, so how, how have your friends and family been, you know, have they been supportive of you with your musical career or has it been a struggle? Um, you know, friends, my friends were, were all very excited when I started performing because it was like, oh, cool, like you've got a thing now. Like before that I drew and before that I was making short movies and they were, they were terrible, but, you know, we were all kind of doing it together. I, I had the luck of surrounding myself with a lot of other artists in high school. and just I had this bubble of people who were excited about everything. So when I started doing it, it was very easy to get people to come out and, you know, see us, even if what I was doing was crap, like... Uh, so yeah, my friends have been great. Um, my family definitely didn't pick up on the fact that I was doing this a lot until much later. Um, and my, my mom's come to a few of my shows, which I always think is hilarious because my friends, uh, they meet her and they're like, Oh, <laughs> and it's so nice to meet you. And she loves it. She, she just loves kind of being a sort of <laughs> a person to know in the crowd, which is really funny. Um, yeah. Well, that's awesome. That I, yeah, been supportive. everyone's been supportive, I guess, is the short answer. Well, that's good. It's good when you have people that can support you, especially when you're trying to grow your, your band and your music. Yeah, and I think, you know, for us, the next step is to not rely on our friends and uh, the people we know so much because, you know, they're like, I don't go see every band, every one of my friends' shows. It's impossible. It would, <laughs> it, it would kill music for me. Um, and so I totally understand when people don't come to you know two out of two shows like that's that's fine for us the next step is definitely to branch out and try and just get people to hear us and not know us and be excited about what we're doing but that's that's the hardest thing an independent band can do so we're we're working on it and hopefully you know that'll continue and you'll be able to get more and more people to your shows yeah i mean i think the big the big thing is making the show more exciting and more memorable. So we're working on making a reactive light show um, with LEDs and kind of stuff like that. Just trying to make the space fit us more because we we end up playing under like amber stage lights that are just kind of set to do the same thing. And it's like, that's fine. You know, it's about the music, but it also is partially about what you're seeing and we want it to be exciting to look at too. So uh, we're kind of trying to just make the visuals a lot better. I think that might help a lot. So what do you do in your downtime? Do you have any downtime? Uh, not as much anymore, but uh, when I do have it, I kind of just vegetate. I find because <laughs> my day is usually, you know, I get up at you know seven, I go to work for eight, I leave work at 6 p.m. 
and then I either go to band practice or try and work on music or go to a meeting about music and then you know just trying to find a career job and all that kind of stuff it takes up time but in my downtime when I'm just doing nothing I don't know I kind of just I end up writing uh songs and listening to records and cooking and that you know just really boring normal people stuff like I'm, I'm definitely not like an interesting person in the way I live my life I'm just I'm busy enough to always be doing something which is you know, I, I guess that's pretty normal too now. Like everybody's, everybody's heart, um, in high demand. Yeah. I mean, that, that definitely, you know, with having time to write, that does help. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I wish I painted still, I, I went to Sheridan for a year to do, to just kind of brush up on fundamentals and stuff like that before I knew what I wanted to do. And, uh, that was a real like transformative experience. And I still have all my materials, but it's just like, I never, set up a canvas and I never paint and um I, I really do miss the zen that comes with that like you just if you're having a bad day you just put on I don't know like Bonobo's Black Sand which was an album I love to paint too and um yeah you just kind of go at it and like within an hour you feel like you're on top of the world so I wish I wish I could do more stuff like that yeah that is one thing about painting is it's a very zen-like experience mm-hmm if it, like if it's going poorly it's pretty easy to just be like, all right, well, I'm obviously overthinking it. Like I'll just go for a walk, get a coffee or whatever, but you come back and, and it's, it's crazy how like 15 minutes away from something can just like flip it and you'll suddenly start doing great work. And by the end you're like, well, I just spent an hour being productive, which is, you know, a positive and, and, uh, I, I got a piece of work out of it. Even if it's not good, it's still like, oh, I, I, I did something with my time and I made a thing. Yeah, and that was, I, I remember that's my professor said, he was like, you're all trying too hard to make good paintings. I don't want good paintings. I want you to make your worst paintings possible. And everyone's best work would come out of that. Like the moment you dropped all your stakes and stopped like putting pressure on yourself to perform, you just, that just becomes like true performance. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's usually think, how it works. Once sorry. you get out of your head, you can, you can put forth something that's way better than you ever thought. Yeah, and it's the same with music. Like the moment you sit down and be like, I'm going to write a heavy tune or I'm going to write a, like the moment you declare anything, like I'm going to do this, then it's you're probably not going to do it. And that's, that's run true for me 100% of the time. All of my best material comes from me just like absentmindedly dicking around when I have something better to do. And... <laughs> it kind of I kind of wish I was in school still because uh, I found having a homework assignment due the next day was always a really great way to get a good song. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the distraction would would lead you to to write something really great. Yeah, and I don't know, it it just it's always happened like that for me, so. Well, if you had to pick one song that really was the the best song to define your sound, which one would it be? <sighs> Yeah, that's hard. Um, hmm. I did, I did, I did think about this question too, and I, I had a lot of trouble with it. I would say because we tend to jump genre a lot, and the stuff we're doing now is just so, like everything we do, just ends up being really different from the last thing. So, something that amalgamates a lot would probably be "Faces in the Fog." Uh, it's track number four off for science, and the reason I say that is because we we do this thing where we kind of build up 
over a long period of time and then have like a big release and kind of stuff like that's the structure but the sound design in there is really like it's classic us if you know what i mean like it's just sort of a go-to that we that we've been doing like oh let's grab this weird synthesizer and just make some noises and then have them kind of jump around the stereo field and see what happens and like that's just kind of something that I think defines a lot of what we do is if it's a rock song there's probably a lot of like weird little ear candy that we add in just because we love that in the music we listen to so yeah faces in the fog yeah and that's it's one of the things that I do love about this album as well is that there is such a broad range of sounds that you have you know you go from being more electronic to almost just straight rock which is great yeah, it's mostly because we're, you know, we're a fidgety people. We just get bored of everything we do very quickly. So, I mean, and that's sort of a, a mechanic that we have that just keeps us interested in our own music and interested in making it. Because if we were a rock band, I'm sure we would have broken up a long time ago. But um, it's this sort of studio project style that lets us just do absolutely anything. And there's no expectations, right? Like, we don't have a huge following we don't even have like a small following <laughs> so it's really nice that there's no pressure no one's expecting a better record or like you know more of the same like you see, like you know tool fans are vicious right like that's just one of the most insane groups of fans i've ever seen for a band and it's like i can't imagine like i'm sure i'm sure the guys in tool don't care a lot what people think but like, oh, that kind of pressure over a long period of time would just make doing stuff kind of stressful and not very fun. So right. we're lucky. Well, with that, if, if you could work with any artist, uh, living or dead, on writing the next album, who would it be? I would love to work with Johnny Greenwood because um, it's like not his guitar playing. It's just his understanding of harmony really gets me. Like, I'm a kind of a rhythmically illiterate person. Like, I just can't do drums at all like i've been trying to sort of sit at the drum kit every now and then and just sort of like figure out how to you know unlink all my limbs from each other but um you know like i'm just not good with rhythm and harmony has been something that's always stuck with me like even as a, like a little kid like a toddler like if there were cool chords in a song like i didn't care if it was a bad song otherwise like i just that would draw me to it so i think his understanding of harmony is super interesting and it's very inspiring to me especially with his string arrangements so yeah i would love to to have his have his ear for a bit yeah i think that would be an incredible collaboration between you guys <laughs> i think you end up with something that sounds incredible yeah i mean you know one can dream but um i'm sure he's a much busier person <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably a little bit yeah, I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe maybe he just sits around drinking coffee all day and listening to jazz. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so where can everybody find your music? Where else is it available? Uh, everywhere, digitally. Um, it's on, you know, iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, if you're that kind of person. Um, or you can just buy it off our Bandcamp. We're just waxlims.bandcamp.com. And... Yeah, if you if you you're the kind of person who wants a CD, you gotta buy it off our Bandcamp. But uh, for digital, it's basically everywhere. Okay, and and where are you on social media? Uh, we're sort of active on Facebook, so if we have anything going on that we feel like talking about, it'll be Facebook. 
Um, I'm on Twitter, but I got a you know disclaimer. My Twitter sucks. I'm active, but I just kind of tweet about nothing. And I just retweet Baths because I think his Twitter is the greatest thing that's ever been given to man. <laughs> yeah, Twitter and uh, and Facebook are, are at the moment where it's at for us. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's really cool to actually do an interview. Thanks for listening to Territorial Noise this week. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed sitting down with Alex. Be sure to like Wax Limbs on Facebook or follow them on Twitter, at Wax Limbs. They're definitely a band we're going to be hearing a lot about in the future. And now to close the show, here's the ending song from their album for science, A Way Out. the right to leave.